For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Mediators World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. This is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Good news. If you like to gamble and live in the state of Missouri, Missouri, which apparently got its name from the Missouri Indians, the translation apparently means canoe haver. A lot of water in the state of Missouri. Additionally, the Show Me State has had an increasing number of elk. To be fair, increasing from zero prior to 2011, but it is set to have its first elk hunt this fall since the mid-1880s. That's 140 years. So when I say, if you like to gamble, throw your hat in the ring and gamble on an elk tag. I have to jump back real quick and let you know how possibly the state of Missouri got its name, the Show Me State. Please write in if you have a better version. What I could find is... Willard Duncan Vandiver, a Missouri congressman, said in an apparently well-documented way, quote, I come from a state that raises corn and cotton and cockleburs and Democrats, and frothy eloquence neither convinces or satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You've got to show me. Another state motto that flies right straight in the face of frothy elegance is, and this is according to netstate.com, which I won't hang my hat on, Missouri was known at one point as the puke state. This referring to a large crowd of Missourians that had gathered at the Galena lead mines in 1827. So many Missourians had assembled that those already there declared the state of Missouri had taken a puke. Missouri is in the lead belt, just so you know. Now, back to elk. In 2011, Missouri transplanted elk from Kentucky to Peck Ranch Conservation Area. More elk were added in 2010 and 2013, totaling 108 animals moving across three counties in south-central Missouri. The state is looking for an eventual goal of a herd size in the 400 to 500 elk range. 
The first elk season will be a nine-day archery season from October 17 through 25. Then, a second nine-day firearm season from December 12 through 20. Season dates were picked to avoid general deer season and elk breeding season. A $10 application fee will get your name in the hat. If successful, the first elk hunt in Missouri in over 140 years will cost you 50 bucks. The application period is the entire month of May, and there are five bull elk tags to be had. Congrats to all the folks involved in bringing those elk back to Missouri. <laughs> this week, we've got skinks, the crime beat, and the long overdue stop at the anthropology desk. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. I'm getting geared up to hopefully go spank a tom turkey or two. If you want to talk conservation in regards to animals, turkeys are an example that are tough to beat, especially if you look here in my home state of Montana. We had essentially zero turkeys in the state when I was growing up. About high school, you could apply for a handful of turkey tags in one region of the state, eventually another region, and now, if you really wanted to get after it between spring and fall seasons, you can kill two toms and four beardless turkeys in one year in one region of the state. Check your regs, I'm being only slightly vague. But regardless, it's a really neat thing to see. Additionally, if you take these birds and break them down properly, you can get an incredible amount of food from a 17 to 24 pound sack of feathers. Meals that can be surprisingly diverse. Classic brined and smoked turkey breast makes for a pile of incredible sandwich meat. The wings and legs can be slow cooked and shredded for tacos, pastas, barbecue sandwiches, and the carcass right down to the toenails can be slowly simmered and strained into turkey stock that will be like nothing you can purchase at the store. On top of all this, turkey hunting is known for being a pursuit filled with brutally early mornings. Often, I'm trying to get into a spot that lacks any underbrush and cover that necessitates having true darkness to provide the cover needed to not tip off the turkeys on their roost. Then, I sit for an hour or more praying for sun, not so much for that hot turkey action it might bring, but to thaw me out and heat me up. Turkey mornings can be deceptively cold. The advantage of this, if I'm being honest, is the excuse of being in the woods as they wake up. Sitting in the dark before the sun even makes its approach makes you aware of the way all the little things, nut hatches and mice, start their mornings. Coyotes, foxes, porcupines, and raccoons looking sheepish for being caught in the first haze of light. It is a magic way to start the spring. We don't need to mention the ticks. <coughs> Turkeys are strange. They're full of charisma. I had spoke with a uh, ranch owner here earlier this year looking for some turkey permission, and she told me that the turkeys only started showing up about three years ago. Now they are so aggressive that they attempt to run off her newborn calves. In turn, her cows have gotten so aggressive that the once peaceful critters rolled both her four-wheeler and her nephew the other week. Suffice it to say, she's not a huge fan of turkeys right at this moment. Calving season can be a long one in Montana. On top of the charisma, turkeys' heads turn color. They're snood, shrivels, and elongates. When someone talks about birds as living dinosaurs, it is hard not to think of the turkey. Once you see one in the woods or on a creek bottom really doing their thing, it's an impossible notion to get rid of once the seed has been planted. They'll eat mice, 
frogs, snakes, crayfish, dandelion heads, and rocks to fill their gizzard. According to Dr. Alan Cruikshanks, a turkey gizzard can produce a force equivalent to 437 pounds per square inch, enough to easily flatten lead shot and crush a whole walnut. The walls of the gizzard are made from a carbohydrate protein called coilin and are so tough that steel needles will bend in the gizzard without penetrating it. Turkey gobbles are just like how everyone says they are. Thunderous. <laughs> a comically loud noise out in the sagebrush and juniper. Even though I'm approaching the age of having spent more of my life in Montana with turkeys than without, that gobble still makes me laugh. To me, it is as comically out of place as it is loud. My first turkey adventure here in the state will be over to a big private ranch I have access to only for turkeys. I always throw my steel chainsaw in the pickup so I can take care of any problem trees and clear any of the ranch roads as a thank you. I like the electric saws for this as I'll be sleeping in the truck and I find that no matter how careful you are, those gas fumes kind of penetrate everything. Who wants to sleep with that? Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of even when I'm gone. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions for all you elk hunters out there chasing turkeys is basically the same thing i know the reaction you just gave me but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on x the hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground but i use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks 
sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, Venison.com. And use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on to the Australia desk. Recently, in New South Wales, a three-toed skink was observed giving birth to live young and eggs, simultaneously being viviparous and oviparous and really indecisive. This observed birth brings up the thought that we may be witnessing evolution, right up front and very personal to Mama Skink at least. The three-toed skink was first described by a British zoologist in 1825. So this is uh, an update to a long-recorded story, and trust me, we'll stick with this one all the way through. Go no further than Cal's Week in Review for uh, hard-hitting, up-to-date updates on this possible transition from egg layer to live birther. We all may just not be around to hear how it ends up. (gasps) Doing my research on skinks, one thing is immediately clear. People are absolutely fascinated by skink reproduction and not much else. Although the three-toed yellow-bellied skink averages only about seven inches long, the critter has the charisma of, let's say, a solid 15 to 20 incher. It looks kind of like a snake, slight smile on its face, arms and legs way too small for its length and girth, the limbs are tiny enough to appear almost vestigial looking, or maybe like the skink got a great deal on some aftermarket parts. The skink does a great job of eating insects, and it's not an up-in-your-face creature as it's primarily nocturnal. So what gives? What gives is the fascination with what the skink gives birth to is kind of in all of us. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The advantage to egg laying is the female can deposit eggs and be rid of the energy it would cost her to nurture young inside the body. The benefit of carrying young to the point of full gestation is you don't leave the kids up to the whims of nature only protected by a thin shell. The young are more taxing on mom, but they are more protected by going where she goes. Three-toed skink populations in moist coastal areas that are possibly more full of food and less full of danger lay eggs, oviparous. The skinks in mountainous regions that are a little rougher going carry their young to full gestation and give birth to live young, viviparous. To continue to reason away the why eggs or why not, nutrition is a factor as just kind of stated. The female skink must continually provide the nourishment needed for her offspring from egg fertilization until birth, if she is a live birth giver. The egg-laying skink must make sure she has the nutrients from the time of fertilization through egg development until she can deposit the eggs and move on. The food and nutrients that live young would take directly from the female The embryos in the eggs take from what is in the egg, the yolk, and the shell itself in the form of calcium. However, skinks seem to have this system down as well. Some skinks that lay eggs drop super thin shells encasing nearly completely formed embryos that mature in less than 5 days, others under 15 days, and none longer than 30, suggesting that these skinks may be targeting the happy medium of protecting offspring and reducing stress on mom. All fascinating stuff as we continually try to answer what came first and how, the skink or the egg. But what if it's a really, really thin egg that is transparent and the embryo within is fully formed? Moving on to the ever-popular law enforcement desk. New Jersey, Atlantic City to be exact. If you listen to Springsteen, all I have to say is Atlantic City. 
to set up that something illegal happened, and of course it did. Two outlaw anglers were caught March 30th with 66 undersized Atlantic striped bass in their possession. At the time of the crime, lawful anglers were allowed one fish between 28 inches and 43 inches in length. This is known as a slot limit, and one additional fish over 43 inches. All 66 of the illegal catch measured between 13 and 24 inches. This selfishness is terrible under any circumstance, but just this year, a highly publicized reduction in harvest rates went into effect after a recent stock assessment determined that Atlantic striped bass were being overfished and, for the good of the fishery, an 18% harvest reduction would need to be implemented. As of April 1, the regulations changed to one fish per person per day, and that fish has to be between 28 and 38 inches in length, a slightly narrower slot, meaning that an angler can likely do a lot more fishing and catching without getting a fish between the 28 and 38 inch mark to take home. Being as I have never fished for a striper, I thought it best to go to as near a local source as possible, Meat Eater's own Joe Cermelli. Joe says, It's depressing enough not to be out striper fishing right now on a boat with my law-abiding buddies. So to see these poachers get caught with such a huge amount of undersized fish feels like an incredible gut punch given the present situation. I'd be happy to catch one salty striper right now just for a morale boost. I give a mountain of credit to the New Jersey Conservation Police on this bus, though. Not only are they still out there doing their jobs in the middle of a pandemic, but it sounds like they worked for this one. To track a small boat that's zipping around at high speed in the dark with no running lights to a private dock takes effort and dedication. I hope anyone else that thinks that they can bend the rules because fewer people are looking during the pandemic take notice. Thank you, Joe. And yes, that is how these poaching sons of guns were initially found out. They were operating their boat at night without running lights, moving from known fishing spot to known fishing spot. Officers used their knowledge of the area to hone in on their private dock. Max fine for an undersized striper can be 100 bucks. The fishing violations add up to $12,800 per angler. Additionally, they were cited for unsafe operation of a vessel operating a power vessel without valid registration, and failing to have appropriate vessel safety gear. Fishing gear was also seized for evidence, and the conservation police officers will seek forfeiture due to the severity of the violations. The seized fish were released to the Atlantic City Rescue Mission, according to the New Jersey Division of Fish and Wildlife. Released to the Atlantic City Rescue Mission. That's funny. Breaking the law is not especially when it involves taking from a resource that is hurting. Next up, a Hofton County, Michigan resident defended his home with a chainsaw when two persons, one of which carrying a weapon, invaded his home. Yes, to those of you who sent me this story, I would like to think this man defended himself and his home with not just any saw, but a dependable steel chainsaw, perhaps the MS-362C, a classic gas-powered number with a modern computer that fine-tunes and calibrates that saw so you don't have to. That saw will run smooth and sound beautiful whether you are staring down a season's worth of firewood lengths or a couple of drugged-up home invaders in your garage. That's a hot tip for you. Lastly, from the law enforcement desk, Dave Spain wrote in and tipped me off to this, quote, 
Good pinch by the wildlife wardens in Oklahoma. A landowner heard two gunshots from what he thought was his property. When he got to the location, it was indeed on his place. He found a pickup speeding away, which he got a picture of, as well as turkey feathers, blood, and shotgun casings. The local warden was alerted, evidence collected, and the vehicle from the landowner's cell phone picture turned in. A suspect and suspect vehicle were found and called in the next day. When the suspect was contacted, he was told to turn himself in. This next part is directly from the Oklahoma Fishing Game, and I find it good stuff. After several minutes without a phone call from the suspect, Warden Blackburn was contacted by Roger Mills County Deputy Joey Bales regarding the suspect vehicle driving in Cheyenne, Oklahoma. Warden Blackburn was in Cheyenne at the time and hurried to his patrol truck to catch up to the suspect. As he ran to his truck, the suspect vehicle drove past him. Warden Blackburn was attempting to catch up to the suspect vehicle when his cell phone rang and he noticed the number was from a non-resident caller. Warden Blackburn realized it was the suspect, and he instructed the caller to pull over, which he did. Warden Blackburn's subsequent investigation uncovered more than 26 separate violations among the four men in the suspect vehicle. Warden Blackburn was assisted by Deputy Bales and Oklahoma Game Warden Clint Carpenter in the investigation and sorting through all the evidence, including parts of nine turkeys. The alleged violations included the following. Hunting without landowner consent. Hunting with the aid of a motorized land conveyance, as in a vehicle. Shooting from a public roadway. Unlawful possession of wildlife, not lawfully taken. Removal of evidence of sex prior to check-in. Failure to check-in wildlife prior to processing. All four suspects were cited for a total of 26 violations, totaling $12,014 and fines and court costs, and all evidence was seized. That's uh, an expensive turkey trip, for the record. Swift action there in Oklahoma. Game wardens never sleep. One more fun thing I would like to point out is that instead of just saying turkey poachers caught on the news release, it states non-resident turkey poachers. Now, it doesn't matter if you are, uh, let's say, a fly angler who typically looks down on bait fishermen, or vice versa. When the subject of non-residents comes up, those two anglers will be on the same side. They have common ground in pushing their gripe du jour toward non-residents. Here in Montana, for instance, growing up, we always complained to high hell about Washington and California license plates in the state during the good times of hunting and fishing. Who knew it would take COVID-19 to finally add any validity to those remarks? Jumping over to the anthropology desk, in what is becoming no big surprise, Neanderthals were not stupid. Huh? We just can't come to terms with that. In a recent article published in Ancient Origins, a team of researchers working with the University of Göttingen established the reliance on seafood, such as mussels, crabs, and fish, for some Neanderthals. They even ate marine mammals like dolphins and seals. What this team tries to establish is the link between all the vitamins and minerals stored in seafood, giving Neanderthals a brain boost. For example, only 3 ounces of scallop provides 18% of the recommended daily dose of vitamin B12 and zinc, as well as 300 milligrams of omega-3 fatty acids. So you know, because of that ingestion of seafood, Neanderthals were able to draw and paint on cave walls as well as make ornaments and things not directly related to survival. 
which, if you think about your own family tree, or maybe into your friend group, do you uh, maybe know some folks that really just eat meat and potatoes every day? I do. Those people seem just as artistic and no more solely focused on survival as do my friends living on the coast and knowingly sending me pictures of piles of freshly consumed mussels and crab remains. We just have this inability to see Neanderthals as anything other than less than to Homo sapien. We used to think that Neanderthals could not have hunted, they just scavenged. Turns out, they likely organized and killed elephant-sized woolly mammoth. We used to think Neanderthal incapable of complex thought. We just recently discovered what is likely the remains of woven cordage, which, oddly enough, goes really well with some stone tools that just would not have worked out well without rope. But Neanderthals were not smart enough to make cordage that ability is reserved for Homo sapiens. One of the oddest things to think about is, we assume such little cognitive ability to the Neanderthal now in modern times, but we all know of what our ancestors thought of them, because our ancestors occasionally bred with them. Just look at Joe Rogan. (laughs) Another compelling argument for the brain power of a Neanderthal is how much time we spend talking about how darn smart dolphins are. If dolphins were that smart, how did Neanderthals eat them? As Stephen Rinella puts it, eventually we are going to find something truly remarkable and modern related to Neanderthal. The discovery will be shocking, yet characteristically downplayed. Something like, what's that? Oh, that's a bicycle made by a Neanderthal. It's not very good. You know they had sloped brows, right? Modern studies associated with vitamin B12 intake during pregnancy show that children produced with high levels of B12 think a bit faster, up to 20 seconds faster in some studies, which this paper points out, if placed historically, a 20-second delay in a life-and-death situation would be death. Stupid Neanderthals. Makes you wonder how the modern cognitive study was conducted. I'm sure the subjects didn't have a mammoth foot above their heads. That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks again for listening. If you're liking what you're hearing, please tell a friend or two. You can always leave me a review by hitting that furthest right-hand star. And as per usual and most important, tell me what I'm missing, what I'm getting right, and what I'm messing up by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themeateater.com. I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, 
sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.